Well, beloved, if you have your Bibles, please open to John chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 9 through 18. One of the most Googled questions out there is this, what is the meaning of life? People all over the world are trying to find the answer to this question, and there's as many times as the question is given, there's answers given. And uh, this existential question really is buried within all of us inside of man's curiosity. Philosophers talked about this question far before there was ever any answers uh, that Google provided. And that's why we came up in today's time with phrases such as YOLO, like you only live once. That's the meaning of life. So take it all in. Or let's live our best life now. Or live like there's no tomorrow. Or live with wisdom, but wisdom according to man. Whether you Google it or not, every soul is asking the question, what is the purpose of life? What is this meaning? Why are we here and what are we doing here? Well, in this Advent series, we are looking at reasons why Jesus came. Last week, Dr. Aiken helped us see that Jesus came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this week, we will see that Jesus came to give life abundantly. In a sense, Jesus himself goes further than answering the question and allows us to see the full answer that he came to give life, and he, in fact, is the meaning of life, all life, abundant life. Just to provide some background for our text today, in John chapter 9, Jesus gives sight to a blind man a man who could not see from birth. And the Pharisees rejected this man, and subsequently they rejected Jesus by dismissing this man's testimony. And they even called Jesus a sinner in verse 16 of chapter 9 because he healed this man on the Sabbath. And so they dismissed this man away from their presence, but Jesus went and found this man because that's what a good shepherd does. He goes and he finds his sheep. And when he found the man, he introduced himself to the man and said that he is the son of man. And the man said he believed that he was the son of man and he worshiped the shepherd before him. Verse 38. We see in chapter 9 how the Pharisees shepherd their people. They squashed them. They put their thumb on them and they push down their rules upon them, and they don't even care about the man who has now been given sight. We also see how these shepherds of Israel think about the good shepherd. They dismiss him. They call him a sinner. They care nothing for the man that was healed, and they care even less about the one who healed him. Their life found meaning in their own rules and operating according to their own wisdom. That's how they answered the question, what is the purpose of their life? But in John chapter 10, we see this beautiful contrast between the false shepherds of Israel and the good shepherd of Israel who calls his own sheep by name. And they know him and they follow him and they do not follow strangers and this good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, that the sheep might have abundant life. 
The main point to this sermon today is very simple, and I, and I don't want you to miss it. The good shepherd lays down his life that the sheep may have abundant life. The good shepherd lays down his life that the sheep may have abundant life. We will look through a series of questions from the text that point to our shepherd and that will help us to see what this abundant life is and how it's secured. Very intentionally, Jesus identifies himself in this passage. If you look in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. And we see throughout the word of God that God himself identifies himself as the shepherd of Israel. We see this all the way back in the Torah in Genesis chapter 49, that he is the good shepherd of Israel. Uh, we see throughout the Psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. In Psalm 77 and 78 and 80, he's the shepherd of Israel that leads his people out of slavery from Egypt and into the promised land. We've talked about the stark contrast before of Ezekiel 34 that describes the false shepherds of Israel and the good shepherd. If you remember in Ezekiel 34, the false shepherds of Israel were those who used the sheep, the fat of the sheep, the wool of the sheep for their own benefit. And the Lord puts judgment on Israel because of it. And he says, I myself will provide a shepherd, an only begotten who will look for the sheep and he will gather them. This shepherd theology is very paramount in the scriptures. We see that some of the great leaders of Israel were shepherds like Moses and David. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, those Jewish men who learned from the Torah and who were acquainted with the Psalms, their ears perked way up and said and knew that a different type of shepherd was before them. And they could understand what shepherding was. This is a, a practical trait throughout the ancient Near East in Israel. They knew what shepherding was. It was a, a blue-collar job. In fact, the aristocrats mocked the shepherds. Uh, they mocked those who would do this type of work. It was dismissed by those who had power and knowledge. Yet it is interesting, right? This beautiful picture that our Lord says, this is what I am. I am a shepherd who goes after the sheep. Behold, this is the very heart of our God. He, he doesn't operate according to the wisdom of man. He operates according to his own wisdom. But before we get to these questions, I do want to explain verse 9 real quick. He says, I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, Jesus says. But circle that and in the text. He says, and will go out and find pasture. First, our text is sort of awkwardly stuck between these two of the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the gospel of John. I am the door, and he says, then I am the good shepherd. In Exodus chapter 3, God introduces himself to Moses this way. He says, I am who I am. And then Moses goes out to Israel and says, the name of God is I am. And so when these I am statements are given... They are stating the name of God, and by making them, Jesus is identifying himself as God. I am 
God. Each statement reveals a specific attribute of who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. And in verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. This beautiful metaphor, picture. And through the door, through Jesus, the sheep are saved. And then through the door, they go in and out and find green pasture. If you've ever been over to Israel and you go to a sheep's cave, or excuse me, a shepherd's cave, you'll see that it's made inside the rock. And to get into the cave, they would make a door. And there was only one way into that door or one way into that cave, and that was through the door. And if the sheep were going to find protection, they would go inside the cave for protection. Back in verse 1 of this chapter... He says that others, thieves and robbers, try to get into the cave, the sheepfold, in another way. But there's no other way. It's only through the door that one goes and finds protection. And it's through the door that one goes out and finds pastures. I want us to see very clearly, before we get into the rest of our text, what verse 9 is saying. That the sheep go into the door and they're saved. They're protected. And then the sheep come out of the door and they find good pasture, places to eat, places to be nourished. And it's only through this door that you are protected and provided for. And in a sense, beloved, this is the abundant life. Saved and we're provided. We're saved and we're sustained. And this is the truth of God's word and needs to root deeply into our hearts. Now, picking back up that first statement, I am the good shepherd from verse 11, I want to ask this question. Why did the good shepherd come? Well, verse 10 further elaborates. Notice with me what John highlights, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy but Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John is continuing to draw out this contrast. There's one who comes and steals and kills and destroys. And there's one who has come that the sheep may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus describes this thief as crafty, a thief, one who steals, one who provides illusions to allure the sheep away from the truths of his word. And he doesn't only uh, deceive, but he actually kills and he actually destroys. It's full destruction that this thief comes to bring. Now, we often only assign this to Satan. Now, that is true to an extent, right? John chapter 8, just a couple chapters over, we see that these false teachers are speaking lies after their father, who is Satan. Uh, Peter uh, describes uh, the father, the devil, as a roaring lion seeking one who, to whom to devour, 1 Peter 5, 8. If you've ever sat at your breakfast table and you've looked out into your backyard, can you imagine for just a moment what it would look like if a lion was in your backyard trying to get into your back door, trying to bust the glass, trying to open the door, seeing you, wanting to smell you, wanting to get after you. This is what lions do. They come in and ravage whatever is in front of them. This is exactly what this picture is being painted before us in the word, a hungry lion who wants to destroy the sheep. But primarily in the context, the teaching is referring to the false teachers who 
want to come in and destroy the sheep around them. Remember, they didn't care about the blind men. They don't care about Israel. And they don't come, they don't care about the one who has come to heal. This is revealing a very dark and wicked message from the false teachers. And this is really the, the false teaching that is found throughout the entire world. Not just Israel's false teaching, but every false teaching that the world throws at us today. It is meant to steal, kill, and destroy your life. Think about Scar. You guys have ever seen The Lion King. If you haven't, you're the only one. But Scar and the hyenas, think about their life. They come into Pry Rock and everything turns into dry bones. There's no water to be found. There's no vegetation to be found. This is what the false teachers are, still kill and destroy. They are false rulers. They think they're rulers, but they're not rulers. But I ask that question, that first question again. Why did the good shepherd come? Well, the answer is given in verse 10. That the sheep may have abundant life. Such a beautiful contrast, is it not? The contrast is the difference between the raging sun that provides us heat and utter darkness. That is what we're seeing here in the Word. Do you remember how John introduces the Good Shepherd in verse 4 of chapter 1? He says, In him was life, and life was the light of men. He came to give life to the sheep, not just the good life, but life abundant. Life mentioned here, in short, is short for eternal life in Jewish jargon, if you will. It's, it's life here and it's life forever. That's the context of what kind of life Jesus gives or the, this good shepherd gives. And so we see that salvation and sustenance from verse 9 explained a little bit further in the abundant life of verse 10. Life is knowing and being secured in your salvation and it's going out and finding good pasture to eat from, knowing that you have a good shepherd that's caring for you, loving you, giving you direction, making sure that there are false teachers or false uh, people away from you, animals sent to devour you. This is the abundant life. And he is the good shepherd. And he's not just good because of what he provides. I want us to really understand this. He is good because he is good. There is no one who is good but God. That's what the scriptures say. Only God is good. And so when we see the good shepherd, we know that there's a goodness in him that we as carnal beings cannot possibly fathom. You guys, I think, know this, but sheep aren't exactly smart animals. We're not uh, always depicted as <laughs> just ruling well, I would say. In fact, if we were on the sheep are lost without a shepherd, so vulnerable without guidance, not knowing where to get food from, not knowing how to get back home to the sheep pen. But we see in verse three of this passage that he calls his sheep by name and they know his voice and they come to him. We see that this good shepherd protects them by keeping them in the pen by the door, verse 9, and he leads them and he nourishes them. What, what an abundant life to be able to hear the voice of the shepherd. He came to give life like this. 
Beloved, if your life is about anything other than the shepherd and listening to him, I promise you, your life and joy will be destroyed by thieves and robbers. You will not have life abundant. Not walking with a shepherd who longs to protect you and give you life, it will lead you into dry fields. It will make you think about the decisions that you think are best. It will force you to have to fend for yourself when you don't have the hooves to do it. But when we have the good shepherd, there's a different type of provision. He himself is our shelter in every storm. He is our nourishment from every flourishing field. He is your protection from thieves and wild animals. He is your warmth in cold seasons. He will be your remedy when your hooves and your hearts are broken. He gives life in every meaningful way. And he has made provision to walk with us and to talk with us and to fellowship with us. He is able to keep us from stumbling like it says in Jude 24. This is the good shepherd and he came that we may have life abundantly and the only place that life abundantly is found is in him. This is the good shepherd. This is who he is. This is a robust love that he has. This is why he came. But the second question I want us to ask is, how does the good shepherd provide abundant life for his sheep? Well, the text actually begs the question, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And check this out, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 12, he is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So how does the good shepherd provide the abundant life for his sheep? Well, the answer is right there in verse 11, by laying down his life for the sheep. The shepherd does a lot for the sheep, as we've already discussed. But in order to bring the abundant life, the good shepherd lays down his life that the sheep may have life. I love what Piper says. He abandoned his life that we might have the abundant life. The hired hands, these false teachers that are described in verses 12 and 13, they don't own the sheep. Man, they're, they're there for a paycheck. They're just there doing their job. They don't care about the sheep. They don't own the sheep. It doesn't matter at the end of the day what happens to the sheep. They're there for their own selfish motives, for money and for greed. But he came that we may have abundance by relinquishing his life. And he laid it down. And here's the crazy thing. The false teachers see the wolves coming, the hired hands, they see the wolves coming, and they flee. Do you see what it says there? In verse 12, sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep, and he flees. What do you think is going to happen to the sheep? Sheep get devoured when the wolf comes, and there's no shepherd to defend them. But our good shepherd absorbs the bites of the wolves. In fact, he allows the hunting frenzy to be done on him. He, he, he doesn't back down. He doesn't flee. He, he recognizes that they're bloodthirsty. He, he recognizes that they're after him because if they get him, they're going to get the whole flock. And he stays the course and he doesn't flee. This is our good shepherd. And he knows that they want to destroy them. 
and he gives himself up. And I recognize that John 10 is a lot of metaphors. I do not want us to miss the fact that he is talking about deep, spiritual, actual truths about the good shepherd. Actual truths. Picture this in your mind. If you've ever been to Israel, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, on the Mount of Olives, there is within it a garden. And it's the Garden of Gethsemane. And in that garden, you can picture it, you oversee the cityscape of Jerusalem. It's stunning. It's beautiful. You can actually see the Temple Mount and, and uh, all the areas that the, the wolves would have been conspiring against the shepherd. And from that mountaintop at night, you can see the torches. You can see the wolves leaving the gates of the city and coming down the Kidron Valley and up to the Mount of Olives into the Garden of Gethsemane. And guess what, people? Our shepherd didn't move. He gave himself up to them, knowing that in his giving himself up, the sheep were going to be spared. He was devoured in our stead. This is the chief shepherd that we're talking about. Yes, he is a, a, an example of sacrifice and love, but in it, he secures for us by laying down his life actual protection from predators. He, he provides from us actual forgiveness of sins. He absorbs for us the actual wrath of God that should have been upon us. He takes from us ultimate death because he's put it on himself. We have the abundant life because the shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Third question, why does he do this? Why does the good shepherd lay down his life for the sheep? Verse 14 he says again, I am the good shepherd. Look what he says. I know my own and my own know me. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. The answer is found in verse 14. Why does he lay down his life for the sheep? Because he knows the sheep. He knows the sheep. In fact, he owns us. I know my own, that possessive is what he said. Merry Christmas. You are owned by the good shepherd. There is no gift that you are going to receive or give that has any business being in the conversation by the truth that you are owned by your good shepherd. This knowledge is an intimate knowledge. Like he knows us fully and thoroughly. And because he has called us by name, as the passage earlier says, we now have intimate knowledge of our shepherd. We hear him call us and we go to him. That was a practice in, in shepherding. Uh, the sheep actually know the only voice they know is the voice of their shepherd. And so when he calls us by name, we go to him. It's, 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 in, it's, in, it's incredible. So he calls us and we go. And then 
as more is revealed about our shepherd and we, we study him and we look to him and we learn his character, his nature, his holiness, his perfection, we continue to hear the voice of our shepherd as it feeds our soul. And John likens it to the way that the son and the father know each other. And not in the same way as they're God and they thoroughly know one another, but he gives it as an example. There's an intimate knowledge that the sheep and the shepherd have for one another. If you remember back in Matthew chapter 7, some think that they know him. Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out uh, demons in your name. And he says, depart from me for I never knew you. And subsequently, they didn't actually know the good shepherd either. They didn't know his work. They didn't know what he had come to do. They were still bragging and boasting in the work that they were presenting before him, and they didn't know him. The reality is we're all kind of thieves and robbers before we enter the sheepfold. We're violent. We're crafty. This is who we are before we have Christ. Just because you don't feel that way doesn't mean it's not true. This is who we are. There's two gripes of people, those who are in Christ and those who are not. There is some good news, though, because guess what? Christ died amongst the thieves and the robbers. In fact, he died like smack dab in the middle of two thieves and robbers. If you remember in the scriptures, this is where the good shepherd laid down his life. And one of the thieves railed against the good shepherd. Do you remember this? He was mocking him just as the Pharisees did. He didn't want the good shepherd's life. He cared nothing about the good shepherd. He was a true thief and a robber. But on the other hand, there was a thief and a robber who was there. And he heard the voice of his shepherd. And in the middle of the good shepherd laying down his life to secure life for all sheep, He turns his head to the good shepherd and says, remember me, Jesus. Remember me, good shepherd, as you enter into your kingdom today. And the good shepherd looked to that thief and says, you will be with me today in paradise. What is the abundant life? That you, robber thief, will be with me. That is the abundant life. Jesus knew him and he knew the good shepherd on Golgotha. Right as death is trying to snatch that robber's life, to drag him down to Sheol forever, he hears the voice of his shepherd. And he asks the shepherd for life. And the shepherd Gives it to him. We're only able to love the shepherd because he first loved us. That's what 1 John 4.19 says. The one who is willing to, to save even as he's dying. That's our good shepherd. He, he knew us from the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.4. He knew us. And we're not going to make apologies for that. He knew us. And it actually says in Revelation 13 that our names, those of us who have listened to the voice of the shepherd, our names were written on the tablet of stone known as the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world ever was. 
He knew us. And this is why he lays down his life. And he's come to save us and to give us life. Does your life reflect an intimate knowledge of the good shepherd? Do you know him? You can't know him and like know his voice and be the same. It's not like you're like, hey, I intellectually know that there's a good shepherd and he died for me. No, no, no. We're, we're talking about faith where you actually get to, to learn and know and fellowship with the good shepherd. And when we see him face to face, you cannot be the same. You cannot be the same. Do you remember when you were called? You were walking and grazing in the field. You thought you knew how to get back to the sheep's pen. You thought you knew what was best to eat and what to, to feed yourself with. And then the good shepherd speaks your name and he calls you to himself. And he gives you not just life, he gives you life abundantly. Do you remember that? Where all the things in your heart all of a sudden are structured, restructured in, a, in an internal fashion. Because you see the one who is the point of life and the one who gives you life forever. You cannot be the same. And those who come face to face with the good shepherd, they worship him just as the blind man did in chapter 9. They worship the good shepherd. And that leads us actually to question 4, our final question today. How does the good shepherd secure the abundant life for his sheep? So he came and gave life by laying down his life. He did this because he knows us. But how do we know that we're secured with the abundant life? Look with me in verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Hey, you guys, that's us. You're in the Bible. Verse 16, right there. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. We are not from the fold of Israel. And I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock, and there will be one shepherd. Look at verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me. That's what Jesus said. This is why the Father loves him. Because I lay down my life. But circle that or highlight that in your word if you're comfortable with that. Because... He lays down his life that he may take it up again. And that's actually the answer to the question. How does the good shepherd secure the abundant life for his sheep? Because he takes up his life again. He takes up his life again. And no one, don't you love this in verse 18? No one takes it from me, Jesus says, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. No one takes the life of our shepherd. He lays it down and then he raises it again. Praise God. That's why Paul, when he says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's not there because Jesus came to give life and life abundant. Hebrews 7 says that the, that the Holy One has the power of the indestructible life, which though he lays it down, he has the power to raise it up again. What truth for us to sit on this Christmas season. 
I'm a huge fan of Narnia. I, I, I like uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, and specifically the best book, as we all know, is Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is the first in the series. The technique, well, I'm not going to get into that. But if you are familiar with the book, you know that there's a white witch who deceives Edmund, who's one of the four future uh, kings and queens of Narnia. And because she deceives Edmund, uh, ultimately Edmund is guilty of treason according to the law of Narnia. And if you're guilty of treason according to the law of Narnia, uh, you are eligible for death at the stone table. And so uh, Edmund is set to die at the stone table at the hand of the witch. But there's this lion. And his name is Aslan. And Aslan comes, and Aslan is the ruler of the people. He is actually the chief cat, if you will. And he comes to the white witch, and he makes a deal, as they discuss the law, that he will lay down his life in the stead of Edmund. So Edmund is free, and Aslan is going to now be sacrificed at the stone table. And they agree on this. And so the witch and her ghouls take Aslan, the great cat, and they place him on the stone table, and they kill Aslan. And you know what they do right after they kill Aslan? They go after the entire army. And declare war on them. So after the leader is done, they go after all the other leaders, all the other people. What the witch didn't know is that she had misinterpreted her understanding of the law. She had, she had misinterpreted what the truth of the law actually was. And Aslan, who knew the truth, knew that he was going to raise and knew that he was going to go and defend his people, and crush the white witch. Jesus says, I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to rise it up again. His body is not rotting or did not rot in some tomb. He was raised from the dead, ascended to his throne, and guess what? He is actually coming again as the chief shepherd who is going to collect his sheep. That's what 1 Peter 5 says. So when we get to the next chapter in John chapter 11, when his friend Lazarus dies, do you remember what Jesus says? It's another I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life, the indestructible one, the one who provides hope, Life, nourishment, salvation for his people. Friends, I have a question for you today. Who do you say the shepherd is? Are you blind like the blind man in John chapter 9 who had an encounter with a good shepherd who gave him sight? Believed in him and then began to worship him. Worshiping the shepherd is the abundant life. Is that you? Oh, I hope that is you or are you like the Pharisees you know a lot about religion you have a lot of self-interest and you do things according to what you want to do and not according to the word of life there's only two camps those who are with the shepherd and those who are not it's pretty simple actually 
But the good news is the shepherd still speaks. And he speaks through his word. And I am speaking on behalf of the good shepherd. These are not my words. This is the word of the good shepherd. And he is still collecting people from all four corners of the earth to believe in him. To gather a people for himself, many people from other folds, to be the shepherd forever. Is Christ your, is Christ your good shepherd? Have you trusted in him? Have you listened to his voice? We're all dying on a cross. We're all going to die. It's, it is guarantee. Which one on the, which thief are you? Are you asking for life abundant or not? I'm going to encourage you to turn away from your self-righteousness, turn away from your sin, and to walk towards him. Because he knows you, and you're subsequently going to be able to know him if you put your faith in him. How do we respond today? Just quick, three quick ways. One, you guys, we get to worship and enjoy the shepherd of Christmas. <laughs> That's the abundant life. We get to consider who he is. All his kind provisions. He's all we ever need. You, you guys, when you're hung, hungry, I'm, I'm talking about spiritually. When you're hungry, he leads you to green pastures of his promises. Go and, and feast on those promises today. Just open up your word. They're, the word is filled with his promises. When you're tired, he leads you to living water for your own nourishment. To build strength back in your life. Are you tired today? The shepherd leads to living water. When you're scared, you need to be reminded that his presence is with you. He protects with rod and staff. Hold on to this truth today. It doesn't matter if you're going through health things or job insecurities or whatever it is. The, sh the shepherd protects. The shepherd provides for his people. Are you wondering today? Are you not wondering? Are you wandering today? Are you out on your own being a sheep without a shepherd? He leads back to paths of righteousness. And guess what, guys? He does it for his name's sake. We're not even the, the finality of the story. He does the, all of this for his own glory, his own good which gives us confidence. It's not just about us, beloved. It's about him. And he loves us so much. And he knows that no life, life is not found in anywhere else. And so he comes and he speaks to us. He lays down his life for us. He guides us. He nourishes us. And he loves us. Number two, beware of false voices of the hirelings. We know Jesus through his word. This is where the shepherd still speaks. Walk away from anything that would go against what this word says. 
This is, this is what we are to submit to. This is what we are to enjoy. This is what we are to delight in. And there's voices everywhere that don't speak from this word. So beware that there are voices out there in every part of society and even in some churches that speak not the voice of the shepherd, not the words of the shepherd. And number three, beware of the danger of life apart from the shepherd. I think we think we have so much more control of life than we actually do. Like we think like we got this and I'm just going to Google it. I'm I'm just going to make this decision on my own rather than trusting the one who knows the entire field. The Judean wilderness is quite rugged. And I think sometimes we don't think that it actually is a sheep. Now, let's set our hearts on this table that we're about to partake in and enjoy because the good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. Father, thank you that you love us and that you have provided the only begotten, the door, the shepherd, the resurrection, and the life. Who is Jesus? That we would enjoy him, marvel in him, Father, walk with him and listen to him and be refreshed and nourished by him today as we have the eternal life, the abundant life, both today and forevermore. We pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.